So Lucas, I have it on good authority that you have bought yet another camera lens. I feel like I was tricked into it, but uh, can you hear can you hear this sound? Sure can. That's the sound of a focus clutch, <laughs> which means I bought a Fuji lens that is like nine years old. Yes, which is the only kind of Fuji lens to buy because it's got more character or something like character that. Character right? or something like that, indeed. The uh, infamous, you know, trinity of lenses, which would be the 24, the 35, and no, just kidding. The 23, the 16, and the 35 millimeter. <laughs> Fuji lenses, XF, all with their focus clutches. I now have two of three. And you're going to go for three, aren't you? I mean, it's hard not to. I don't need a 35. But if I have the 35, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't complain. Yeah, They're all stocky and like the same size. This one's a 62 millimeter filter thread, so I have it adapted up to 67. Which when you do that and you put bigger filters on it, you... You can like stack seven filters on top of it yeah. and you still don't get vignetting. Which you need to do to expose F log two properly. Yeah, exactly. I mean I'll put I'll put the uh an N D two and an N D eight sorry, an N D four and an N D eight and a variable N D, which is five more stops, and then I'll put a Cine Blue on top of that. Man. That's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot. S- still doesn't vignette. So it's pretty 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 good advice for anybody who wants to uh, you know, Use larger filters. Yeah. It's a good reason to. There you go. So what do you think of the lens so far? I'm pretty happy with it. It is, I've never really spent a lot of time with a full frame equivalent 35 millimeter prime. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people super hate on 35 and then a lot of people super love 35 because it's like too much of an all arounder. It's not really tight enough to be a good portrait lens. It's not really wide enough to be like a wide angle landscape lens. And so it can kind of like do a little bit of everything. And so far that's been exactly my experience is like, it's kind of wide enough that I can use it for most things. And it's kind of tight enough that it still has decent background separation. And overall, I think I, I think I kind of like it. Uh, it, it has that certain look to it that I can't describe where like the 16 millimeter on Fuji is, it has like a little bit of something to like the way that the contrast renders or whatever. And I just really like the way that the pictures look out of that lens. And this lens has a similar feel to it that I can't really describe. Okay. So, so far, pretty happy. And uh, that focus clutch is sometimes nice. Have you shot more photo or video with it? Uh, shoot, probably half and a half. Just a lot of kind of like testy footage yeah. stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Nothing too extreme, but overall, I'm pretty happy with it. Uh, I think that if anyone's out looking for a 23 for Fuji, they should just straight up buy the new one and like don't go looking for this. I did find it used for like 550, which is decent, but the new one goes for 800, 900. Sometimes it's on sale for even less than that, closer to seven. And that one's weather sealed and has the new linear motors in it, mm, and it's okay. I think it's smaller too. So like in general, overall, the new 23 millimeter is a better lens. It's just a better lens. It's sharper in the corners. It's a little more too, it's a little more clinical. It doesn't quite have the same like, you know, character as the as the old one. But adding the weather ceiling and, and the faster motors matters a lot. And I would say that it's a uh, it's way worth the upgrade to get the new one over the old mm. one. I didn't do that because I'm a masochist. Yep. Yep. Also because you're a cheapskate. I'm in that too. Yeah. I sold uh I sold my Sigma 30 millimeter 1.4. 
and I sold my Viltrox 85 1.8 for this, which is, I was just, I was getting rid of the Viltrox anyway, and then I'm basically going from 30 to 23. Right, right. And Which you'll probably use more. Maybe. And it yeah. feels like you never used that Sigma all that much. Yeah, I did. And I wasn't, I had the 35 F2 Fuji lens, and I really liked that one. It just always felt a little too tight for some stuff, but it was a great lens for how small it was. And then, I don't know, the 30 wasn't really what I was looking for. And then the 23 just does seem more my Mm -hmm. style. Yeah. And so I could, with the focal length of this and just kind of using it to do some shooting, I could see myself in situations where I I just wanted to bring one lens with me and I didn't want to deal with Pinocchio, uh, which is the 17 to 70 Tamron. Yep. I I could totally bring this. 23 prime and be happy yeah makes sense i know i i like i like when i'm doing casual shooting to only bring a prime yeah. because i don't, I don't want to have to deal with thinking about composing for zoom that's fair i'll just snap my snap my jpegs last question you have the 16 one mm-hmm. for why what what would you use the 16 for that you can't use the 23 for things that are things that are wider <laughs> but like i mean those those two seem pretty close together The 16 can focus so close and so whenever I put the 16 on my camera, I feel like I can take pictures of anything that's within six feet of me and be very happy with the photo and it will be in focus. And I don't, it's opens to 1.4. So like, I don't have to worry about, you know, how dark the environment is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I love the 16 for that reason. And then like you get the perspective of a wide angle. Mm-hmm. And so you can get these shots where you're really close to the subject and then everything's blurry and, and out of focus in the background, but you see the whole background because you're shooting on a wide yep. angle lens. You still can't get that with the 23. The 23 is more of like a kind of eyesight. You're shooting things that are in more of like a five feet to nine feet away from your range. Okay. Which, you know, is probably fine for most things, but it's it's just different. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I'm happy with it so far. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back today to talk more about the gear we use for photo and video. Well, what are we actually talking about today? Well, I think like uh, there's some new lenses that came out that we want to cover. And then uh, we have another another fun topic to dive into. Cool. So, Well, let's start with the lenses. Yeah. All right. Nikon. May have heard of it. Final, finally. Finally. It's been years has released their portrait lens. Like, you're a professional portrait shooter, you shoot with your Z9, and you need a portrait lens, they finally released it. And it is the Nikkor Nikkor 85 1.2. And what is that lens going to cost me? It's going to cost you (laughs) (laughs) $3,900. That is an expensive lens. It is super expensive. And so far, of all the, the... there's not like a ton of reviews out. It's more of just like Nikon swung by people's studios and was like, check this bad boy out. And they had like two hours with it and that was it. But so far, the the thought on it is, wow, this is really, really good. It's really, really expensive. But if you're a portrait shooter and you shoot Nikon, like just shell out the money and buy this thing mm. because is it, it really is that delicious. Good, is it really that good? I mean, 1.2 is, is great. I think they have a 1.4 maybe, but so faster. And it has 11 aperture blades, which is not common. Yeah, get that really round bokeh. Mm-hmm. Even the comparable Canon 1.285 is nine aperture blades. So a lot rounder, less, you know, uh, it has a, 
I think it has like two or three aspherical elements in it. So like your spherical distortion is way less and it's, it's fairly complex and it's super heavy. It's like 2.2 pounds, nine ounces. It's almost three pounds. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that is heavy. Imagine holding that up on a shoot, you know, if you're doing a portrait shoot. It'd be exhausting. And like if you're using a pro level camera, because you're like, you're yeah. obviously going to shoot at 45 megapixels or something. Yeah. Yeah. Your whole setup's going to be like five pounds yeah. plus. You're going to have to work out just to carry that camera around. Mm-hmm. It's the real deal. That's Maybe crazy. just put it on a, put it on a, uh, not a tripod, but a monopod. Yeah, I guess. Do you have any idea how expensive the comparable Canon lens would be? It's, it's basically the same. It's like somewhere in the $3,000 oh, range. Wow. 3200 okay. 3500 I mean, this is how much, you know, 85, 1.2 pro level, I full see. frame portrait lenses cost. So this is a category of lenses that we've never really had to look at. I mean, I've looked at them, but like, <laughs> I'm never going to, I'm never going to buy one. Yeah. It's just, they're just it's too expensive. Uh, and I'm not a portrait photographer, Man, but it has two stepping motors in it. And so it, it focuses really fast, which can be, you know, it can be an issue for these types of lenses because the elements are so big and there's so many of them. Yeah. It's a lot like of glass. If you, yeah. Like if you look at the L series Canon lens and like watch it focus that the lens inside moves like a good two inches. It's crazy. Jeez. And so, you know, this one it focuses pretty quickly, like surprisingly quick for what it is. Okay. And that's a, that's a nice improvement. Pretty cool. You know, overall, I mean, nothing too exciting to talk about is, but like, if you're looking for the portrait lens and you're an icon shooter, which I know our audience is tons of Nikon shooters. So uh, here it is. Yeah. I bet they will sell at least five of these. Yeah. Which will probably pay for the development cost. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> now, I think this is like for people who, who shoot weddings or portraits or whatever, like this is the one. Sure. I mean, if I you're mean, getting paid to shoot, then that probably does pay for itself fairly quickly. But man, as somebody who kind of just does this as a hobby, it is hard to imagine spending that much for a lens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's who it's for. It's not for casuals yeah filthy yeah filthy casuals this is definitely us how dare you <laughs> all right one one more uh want to get your thoughts on this so uh micro four thirds still exists really well, yeah olympus despite having been sold to whoever owns it now om whatever uh still has their their sweet olympus camera you know for your small stuff and uh they came out with a macro lens which is a 90 millimeter macro for micro four thirds okay that's uh <laughs> that's that's really punched in, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's a good good <laughs> 180 millimeter yep. equivalent. So Jeez. really close. What's ex- what's neat about it is that it can do a two to one reproduction okay. without putting it on um, their whatever X teleconverter. Yeah, but it is compatible with teleconverter so that you can get it up to a four to one reproduction Even ratio. Farther in, yeah. Oh, so that's really cool. Yeah, I was curious what your thoughts were on the uh the 3.5 maximum aperture well i don't think it matters that much for macro because on macro if you shoot at low app at wide aperture nothing's going to be in focus right and so i mean i think it's fine like the fuji the fuji 80 millimeters f 2.8 that also feels fine and especially if you're shooting macro stuff it's like you want to be at like f6 f8 something like that anyway Mm -hmm. so i don't i think that's just fine honestly i don't see a problem with that I like I go back and forth on it. Like obviously you don't need it to be super super fast, but it gets weird with small sensors with macro cuz like you may want to, you know, crank that aperture all the way up, but on something like a like this this long of lens at this aperture or I'm sorry, on this format like for micro four thirds, once you get past like f8 f9 
you start running into diffraction. Mm, yeah, that's true. Which do you know what diffraction is? Vaguely. I know that I know that it's a problem you want to avoid, but I don't necessarily know what it looks like. It's basically like the the splitting of the light. And so uh your because your light becomes diffracts and becomes less focused, the maximum re- resolution of your image becomes capped. I see. And so if you shoot past f8, you can't get any sharper, and in fact, it becomes less sharp yeah. because okay. the image starts diffracting. I didn't and know you, that lenses generally work that way. I didn't realize it was worse on Micro Four Thirds. Yeah, because it's a smaller sensor, yeah, and so you have sense. to constrain the aperture even smaller. Okay. So diffraction happens sooner. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so on this one, it's not just like you're fighting for light, but then also you can't close past f8, so you're also fighting for focus depth. Yeah, that's a problem. And it makes it weird that it's like constrained on both ends because mm-hmm. of the like the lens construction and the sensor. Yeah. And like it's kind of cool what it can do in the reproduction, but also it just feels like this weird compromised lens and I I just I don't know who it's for. Having it be 90 millimeters is also like that feels like maybe too much. Well, if you want to shoot farther away. Yeah, if you, you know. want to shoot a macro shot of a fly from like across your yard or something. <laughs> I mean, might not be that far. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, cool that people are still making good stuff for micro four thirds. But yeah, yeah there's some strange, strange characteristics to that lens. So I mean, they'll, they'll probably sell a few, but I mean, it seems very, very specific. And it is. You know, a lot of times, like, you'll buy a macro, like, I bought that 80 millimeter 2.8, and it's it's a one-to-one macro, it works great, but then also you could really use it for portrait. It's got IS, and um, the bokeh is uh, interesting and swirly and that sort of thing, and so, you know, if you want something with uh, that's less standard, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's kind of of cool. Sure. Has that character. (laughs) Anyway, but, like, for this... You're not really going to shoot a portrait at 3.5 on Micro Four Thirds. Yeah, it's 90, not, at 90 millimeters. Mm-hmm. So it's not really for that. Yeah. Um, and like if you're using Micro Four Thirds for sports or birding, you're probably using like a zoom or something that has a different aperture and different characteristics. Mm-hmm. So this feels very, very specific for yeah. macro. And you have to be like really into macro to shoot, buy a $1,500 lens to shoot macro, I would think. But then also, like, are you really doing that on Micro Four Thirds? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like Micro Four Thirds is dying. And so that that also makes this a weird thing to just suddenly put into place. It feels that way. But then at the same time, like, Panasonic is over there using Micro Four Thirds as a testing bed for all of their cool technology. That's true. But that's video, not macros. Yeah. So I don't know. I think uh, it still has its place. But this feels like it was a little, to me, it feels a little shoehorned in. Yeah. Five people will buy that Nikon lens, and maybe ten people will buy this you one. You think more people are going to buy the the ninety millimeter macro than the eighty five well, millimeter one point two? It's cheaper, you know. It's like mm. a, it's a half or third of the price. I would I would wager that Nikon's going to sell way more of the eighty five one point two. Maybe you're right. We'll never know because we never hear from those Nikon shooters. That's so. true. R- right in. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would love so much to hear from somebody that listens to this show. And shoots on Nikon and is buying that 85 1.2. That would would, would be great. Mm -hmm. Just please uh, tweet it, Daniel. (laughs) If you're out there, let us know. All right. Okay. Are you ready for this next one? I think I am. Do you want me to intro it? Yeah, I think you should. I'm pretty pumped about this segment. Yeah. Okay. So a few weeks back, we uh, were not making fun of Artings because we both love that website. But Artings does have a post where they listed their best filmmaking cameras for winter 2023. Yes. And there was nothing wrong with that list. And we we all thought it was great. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect list. Mm -hmm. And we will 
exemplify that by the fact that Daniel and I have come up with our own lists against the same categories. And I, I'm almost certain that we probably don't have the same list. I think you're probably which right. Which means that everyone can have their own opinion on this subject, yeah. even though Artine's opinion on the subject is a little strange. Yeah. I mean, we all have opinions. Some of them are right and some of them are wrong, but, but we all have them. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly think that the Artine's article is more of like, these are the only cameras they've ever reviewed and it was a very weird subset and then they ranked them. Yeah. And that's why. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And anyway. Did, did you catch in that Artine's article that one of their like honorable mentions or like almost, in, or I can't remember how they phrased it, but it was basically like an honorable mention. One of them was the Sigma FP. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, interesting. <laughs> no, just, interesting. Right? Just no. Yeah. Oh boy. All so, right. So we've got we've got four categories here, right? Yep. Actually, there's a fifth one that I forgot to tell you about, oh. which is best low light camera. Oh, so hopefully you're ready I, to answer that question. I'll, I'll I'll figure something out on the yep. fly. Yep. Um. Let me let so, me read this some of this prompt for you. Okay. Okay. So this is straight out of their article, which is this article focuses primarily on consumer stills and hybrid cameras with advanced video features for those looking to get started shooting films. So. Well, we're sh- we and then they had listed their categories, which were uh, best filmmaking camera, so that's no limits, mm-hmm. and then filmmaking upper mid range, filmmaking mid ranged, budget, and then best low light. And so we define those as because we're trying to use their same categories here. Um, so no limit for the top, and then we're saying less than three thousand for mid range, mm-hmm. and then lower mid range is one thousand to two thousand. Yep, and then budget is less than a thousand. Right, and we're talking only camera bodies for that price. Yeah, and and it has to be new. Has to be new, new for for the pricing. No used prices. Mm-hmm. What else? What else is our is our limit here? Um, had to have been available as a available and announced mm-hmm. as of now. Yep, as of now, this coming out. Uh, no cinema cameras. It had to be a hybrid camera. So yeah. it has to be able to shoot photos. Yep. So the camera doesn't shoot photos, it's out. Yep. In the, in the spirit of the article, right? Yep. And this is for filmmaking. Yep. And there are, so there are five categories. Question I have for you before we start. You you said you don't think we have the same list. I agree with that. Do you think we have any overlap? And if so, how many of the categories do you think we overlapped on? I'm going to bet that out of these five things, I'm going to bet that we have two that are the same. Yeah, I would agree. I think that we're going to overlap on two. Okay. I included a runner-up for all my categories, yeah. just in case. I, I, had a, I had a couple where I where I did that, too. It was hard. Like, like For was, some of these, especially in the upper mid-range, I was like, shoot, yeah. there's too many options. It was very hard. I mean, I couldn't pick between the GH5 and the GH5S. I mean, yeah, how could anybody? <laughs> if you're uh, if you're R-Things, you just put both of them on your list. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Best low light camera yep. 2023. So where do you want to start? Which one do you want to start? You want to start at the top or the bottom? Uh, I mean, I wrote my list top to bottom. What do you think? I think let's start at the top. All right, let's start I, at I, the cause top. Because to, to me, I felt like the bottom ones were harder. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. So let's. I guess let's start at the top. What What do you think is the best camera for filmmaking? No limits. Uh, I'm, I, I actually all of a sudden feel a little stressed out about this. <laughs> <laughs> what if you get it wrong? What because, if your opinion's wrong? Because what if I'm wrong? Okay. I actually changed this right before I got oh, here. Oh, man. On the fly. Canon R5C. Solid choice. How mm-hmm. much is how much is that one? It is, I think it's around $5,500. I didn't write down the much? price for that one. Yeah. All right. So let me explain. Defend let your me, choice. Uh, all right. Let me defend R5C. my choice a little bit. So it's 4300 4, I almost picked this. I almost picked the Sony A1 over this. And I considered 
the C70. Mm-hmm. I decided for the R5C because as a budding filmmaker, you want to be able to get the most mileage out of the money that you're putting into this camera. And the R5C can shoot 8K and it has Canon RAW built into it and it can shoot C-Log2. And so you have all this extra resolution. You can shoot oversampled 8K down to 4K. So you get a really good 4K codex. You can shoot in RAW. It has the fan on it. You're going to have to externally power this thing anyways because the batteries mm. are garbage. Yep. But like you're going to rig it out because it's for filmmaking anyway. So I'm not too worried about that. And I think that because of the ability for you know RAW and all this stuff, decent dynamic range around 13 stops, it feels like a good all-around package for most general things you could do. It doesn't shoot open gate, so that was kind of a downside, and I wish mm-hmm. it did. And But, it, you know, you can send out to a recorder and that sort of thing. It has a micro HDMI port, which is a big bummer. I decided to pick this over the A1 because the A1 doesn't shoot oversampled 4K. Oh, it only shoots binned 4K. Okay. And I thought that oversampling to RAW is going to be better, even especially with, like, the RAW internal. Yeah. The A1, you have to go to an external recorder, and it's binned, and... I don't know. To me, the R5C for filmmaking was the better choice. Yeah, It was hard to pick it over the C70. Mm-hmm. I picked it over the C70 because of, one, kind of because of full frame, but more so because of the 8K and being able to have that option as a delivery method. Yeah, that's fair. Whereas the C70, like, that. you can still record raw and the dual gain output sensor is just better in my opinion. Yeah. And if I need a dynamic range, I would pick the C70 over it. But mm-hmm. I picked the R5C. That's fair. So I, I kind of had two choices for this. I picked the C70. I was thinking you were going to say that that was not allowed because it can't shoot photos. It can shoot photos. It can, it shoot, can photos. shoot photos. Yep. So it, it does count. But it only barely counts because it can <laughs> shoot photos, but it's like it shoots photos in standby mode. And the photo mode is based on what video mode you have it in. And it, it feels like that feels like a technicality. That is right? a stretch yeah. for sure. I mean, the reason I the reason I chose it was because I feel like it's it's just set up better for cinema stuff. Like, I think that the battery is more capable than the one that's in the R5C. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it does have the dual gain, better dynamic range. And people just talk about that camera having a really good look. And, I mean, it, seem, it seems like it would be, you know, a solid choice for for doing filmmaking type work. I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. Because, like I said, it felt, felt a little bit, little bit like cheating. That I mean, camera is fifty five hundred dollars. Yeah, man, it can it can shoot raw, mm-hmm. and it has the same sensor as the C three hundred Mark II. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like you're getting a fantastic sensor, and you know raw ability. If you don't want to deal with the raw, you can use the out of camera codecs, and they look great. Yep, and I mean the C seventy is a super good option it just feels like everybody that has that camera likes it a lot and and they feel drawn to it in a way where they get other cameras and try them for a while and they Mm -hmm. say ah i end up going back to the c70 and it just seems like it's one of those rare cameras that just really has a strong following yeah even though i've got gotten away from canon i would love to have a c70 yeah that was it was it was hard not to pick it but like you're going to be able to adapt it to ef glass Mm -hmm. and with a native adapter yep and the ef options are in plethora. Yeah. Like you'll be able to find whatever anamorphic cheap lens that you want to use. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're using it for filmmaking. And so like, we're not worried about any of the photo specs or any of the hybrid ability. I think C70 is a great choice. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And your runner up was the A1. Is that right? Yeah. A1 was okay. my runner up. Okay. My, my runner up was the Lumix S1H. Whoa. Because we, we've used it. So had a little bit more experience with that one. It's really kind of roughly in the price range we'd be talking about. Right now, you can get it for $3,700. 
but it uses L mount. So you're either going to need to get an adapter or buy some lenses. So, you know, all in cost, you're probably not too far off from like the R5C or something. Nice. But you do save some money and get to get some lenses. And I mean, honestly, the main reason I picked that is because I feel like it's about equally good for photo and video. And it has a lot of video assist features that I think are really nice. Yeah, I I didn't consider putting the S1H on there just because of its age, mostly. I mean, and a yeah, lot I'd, of the I'd crop, love to see a newer one for sure. Yeah, a lot of the crop modes, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But man, an S1H Mark II this year with phase yeah. detect and everything, that camera is going to slap. Yep. So I feel pretty good about the C70 pick, but I think I'd be happy with an S1H for filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe we did two cannons yeah. at the top. That, I know. I know. That hurts a little bit. It does. Mm. Oh, well. Yep. When it's good, it's good. Uh-huh. All well, right, I want I want to dive right into this upper mid range here, all right. based upon your last uh, uh-huh. mention. Yeah, which for me was the BS1H, <laughs> <laughs> because nice. you can get that for less than three thousand dollars. Really, I did not know it was that much cheaper. And yes, Daniel, it does shoot photos. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see you like show up as a wedding photographer with the BS1H. With That's with hilarious. no with no rigging, just just holding the box. <laughs> no, you don't even have the screen on there. <laughs> You're just hoping for the best. <laughs> yes. Oh, but man, this thing, no screen, no handle. I mean, it is it is rigtopia. You build out your camera however you want. All you get is the box, but it's everything you get in the S1H. You can do 5.3K raw output over HDMI. It's got full-size HDMI. Mm. It takes the cinema batteries on the back and just slot them in. You could run a SDI out if that's your thing, and you're so you have a little more secure connection. Mm. You can run SDI to your Blackmagic recorder or whatever you're going to do. I think if you're shooting for like cinema stuff, boy... BS1H is a pretty good option. I mean, you're going to have to spend a lot of money on rigging. You'll need a monitor at minimum. Oh, yeah, for sure. But Daniel, the requirements here were that it was only the cost of the camera body. (laughs) We're not not talking about the $1,500 you're going to spend on all the other rigging equipment. You know, we talked about those box cameras before, and I'm, I'm still not super sure that I would pick one over a regular style. Like, like, because when I think about adding all that stuff, it's like, wouldn't it be nice to just have this built in? But at the same time, I just feel drawn to them in some way. Oh, they're so cool. If I was buying a camera just to do videos, I would have a hard time not mm-hmm. getting that style. Oh, for sure. I mean, I have a hard time not doing it. And I, I yeah. love shooting photos. Yeah. Yeah. I got two runner-ups, but I'm going to uh, gonna save them. All right. Well, so so mine was the S5 II, the Lumix S5 II. Whoa. Um, you had you had a range here of three thousand dollars or yeah. less. Mm-hmm. And you picked a two thousand dollar camera. Yeah, that's actually nineteen ninety seven on V and H. You realize that you could have picked that for the category one lower. I know, I know, I could have. But it's that good. Huh? I just felt like it was the right choice for this category. I mean, honestly, if the S five S five two X had been out by this point, I would have picked that instead. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, that camera just seems really good. And I think it really fits the hybrid characteristic well. Like if you're wanting to do a hybrid thing, I think you could use it for vlogging if that's what you're looking for. But I mean, you could shoot a film on it. It's got all the same assist features. You can shoot raw. I mean, it just seems like a really good camera. Yeah, the built-in video features out of that are phenomenal. And you can you can run you know oh, your HDMI out and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Really good camera. Yeah, and and we feel like there's a good upgrade path, you know, like there probably is going to be an S1H Mark II at some point, you know. So why so you... why that camera over something like the R6 Mark II, which has arguably better video features, not feature features, but like video codecs. For me, it, it honestly came down 6K. to the it came down to 4K. stuff like the assist features. 
Yeah. Because when I think about filmmaking, it's not all about just what's going to give you the best quality. Right. I think once you get past a certain point, it's like, sure, it's great if you can get more quality, but at some point the quality is good enough that that's not the most important thing. Yeah. Like you're not really going to be able to tell the difference too much between an S5 to 4K 24 and the 24 4K out of a, yeah. you know, S, whatever. So you can do it, Lucas. R6 Mark II. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. And and when we've been doing film shoots, it seems like those assist features are legitimately really helpful. Like being mm-hmm. able to see something like a vector scope or that luminance spot meter thing, stuff like that was was really, really useful when we were shooting right. that TV show. Once you get past like the quality bar, I think having those things suddenly becomes more important. Being able to set it in a 180 degree shutter to mm-hmm. shoot true shutter, being having all the anamorphic stuff built in. Yep. Uh, the it's compatibility with different time code systems and all that stuff is just mm-hmm. it's, it's very valuable yeah yeah so that was why i picked it over the right. six mark two so i i didn't want to throw this runner up out there until i heard yours but uh i thought potential i was having trouble picking pick between the bs1h and the black magic 6k pro mm-hmm. yeah i thought about the black magics and i think that it kind of can slide in like the c70 because it can take a photo yeah, but I, I felt like it went a little bit against the spirit of the hybrid idea. I guess so. I think that makes sense. And man, like, but like it's got built-in NDs, yeah. and you can record raw internal, record to an SD card. I just felt like if you really had a if you had a Blackmagic workflow where you're using BM RAWs that sort of thing, mm-hmm. man, the Pocket Six K Pro is a pretty slick yeah. option. I mean, they're pretty cool. I when I was looking to get a new camera, I thought about getting one. Because I had the EOS R, and so I could have kept that for photos and then just gotten, you know, like a Blackmagic 6K for mm-hmm. video. And I thought about doing it, but I guess when I really thought about it, I just didn't feel like I had enough justification for a camera like that. I mean, for one thing, you basically have to rig it up with external battery and right. stuff like that if you're doing anything, you know, any any real work with it. And it just felt like, yeah, it can shoot in RAW, but I mean, how often am I really going to shoot in RAW? And so it kind of it kind of depends on what you're doing. I mean... If you're wanting to make a, a movie or a TV show, then I think it's a great choice. But if you have, you know, if you're a YouTuber or if you want to make casual videos, I don't think it'd be very good for that. No, not really. It's too much weight, not like physical weight, but like baggage to bring yeah. with. You know, mm-hmm. It has all these things that you need in order to like really just grab it and use it. Yeah. Versus something like the S5 Mark II where like you don't exactly. have to put anything on it and yeah. it's, you can just run and gun. Yeah. It's just like compared to the S5 II, it's not as versatile. That's basically what yeah. I mean. So I was just between the Blackmagic 6K and the BS1H, um, but my runner-up uh, honorable mention was always going to be the XH2S. <laughs> the Fuji had to make an appearance somewhere. I just, I just cannot. My, my, my thought here was like, if you really need to shoot raw, get the Blackmagic. If you want the most cinema-type camera, you get the BS1H. But if you want something that can handle fast movement better and has really good dynamic range, XH2S. My main reason for not picking the XH2S for for my go-to, you know, upper mid-range category is it's the color workflow. Because if you're, you know, a budding filmmaker, you're going to be probably combining footage from a lot of different cameras and dealing mm-hmm. with all that stuff, and you really should be working towards a color managed workflow. And I think we've talked about it before that like Fuji is not a part of like the Asus Alliance and your best color man- color grading software, DaVinci Resolve, doesn't support F-Log2 input gammas. Yeah. And so because of that, I feel like you're, you don't have the flexibility with the footage, whereas like the dynamic range and the, the codecs and everything are really, really good. And you can do a lot of stuff with the Fuji footage, but you don't have that official gamma support in there yet. Yeah. And because of that, I don't think this is the best option for someone who's like, I'm 
going to be a filmmaker because I don't think it affords them the ability to learn those proper workflows for if they're trying to actually get into doing, you know, like real deal filmmaking. I think that's a good point. And I think that both the Lumix cameras and the Blackmagic are strong in those areas. So yeah, that's absolutely. I do think the X-H2S is one of the best cameras in this category in terms of photos. Mm -hmm. So if the hybrid aspect of it's important, like I would pick an X-H2S over any Lumix camera for photos. Sure. Just because I think that the co- the color stuff is more interesting and like oh, yeah, classic chrome. Just as a photographer, I think it's more fun to use. So like, it, it it always depends on what you need, you know. And and I'm very happy with my XH2S, but I, I I think it's a contender in this category. But I think if you're doing filmmaking, there are better cameras to pick. Yeah, I think it's funny that neither of us actually picked that, and that's the camera that we own. I know it is funny. Oh well, Make, making me feel like I need to buy a Panasonic or something. Don't don't do it, Daniel. Don't betray <laughs> me. <laughs> One of us. I mean, nobody said I was getting rid of the X-H2S. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Vlog is really good. Yeah. I mean, I've been I've stared at a lot of log white sheets <laughs> and gamma have. curves, and uh, Vlog's pretty good. It's different than F-Log2 in that they cap off the ends of the chart, so it doesn't quite go... Uh, it goes one stop lower on both sides, mm. and then the middle gray is really close, but like the upper and lower end are, are off by maybe like a third stop as oh. far as like where those curves land. You don't care. It's whatever. Vlog is really cool. Now we know. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this next category, which is the the lower mid-range thousand to two thousand dollar camera, which, which as we said, the S52 would have fit into. But mm-hmm. now got? this is uh our team said the best camera in this category is the A6600 by Sony. So was that your pick? That was not my pick. Was that your pick? No, it was not my pick. How, I, old, how old is that camera now? It's I mean, at the sixty six came out in twenty nineteen. Oh, so it's actually not that bad. No, only the four. 60, only four years old. Yeah, the six the sixty four hundred is the one that's I two see. years older than okay. that. I think. Okay. Anyway, I picked the S five S five Mark II. <laughs> 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 you know, obviously. Yeah, it does fit. It does fit into that category. Yeah, I had a hard time not picking the just announced R eight. And then uh, my close contenders were the FX30 and the XH2. Yeah. So I thought about the R7 and the R8, which have some interesting trade-offs that we talked about a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. I ended up picking the Sony FX30. Nice. Because, I mean, I think that E-mount is a good mount to get into. And the FX30 is their cinema-focused camera in that range. So, you know, you get the cooling fan. It supports that XLR mic candle thing. You get S-Cinetone. You get S-Cinetone. Yeah, so, like, all that stuff, like, seems seems good. It's right in the right in the price range, $1,800. Yeah, and that's... I, I felt like it was a solid pick, I guess. It can take photos. It doesn't have a mechanical shutter, but it can take photos. Okay, so I picked the S5 Mark II over the FX30 because... Every mode in the FX30 crops. And so if you're switching between modes, you have unreliable crop factors and you're just having to deal with that. And that, is, that would be annoying if you're using those multiple modes shooting a movie. Mm-hmm. Or whatever you're shooting. I mean, mm-hmm. just, just dealing with that's going to be annoying. It doesn't have raw support from what I can tell. Am I, I don't know if I'm wrong about that. And I'm not sure either. I think those are those are the main two. So the cropping mode, it was the crop modes. Not, not that it's not that it's super thirty five, but that it just has so many different crop modes. It doesn't do open gate at all. Like you, you're only shooting sixteen by nine. That was one of whenever I listed my requirements up here for what makes a good film camera for like filmmaking. I thought being able to shoot raw is important because it gives you more headroom. Uh, an uncropped sixty p would be nice. 
some sort of open gate recording like 8K, 6K, that sort of something that's higher resolution than 4K. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, good rolling shutter, sh- true 24, um, like high-end codecs, and then all the other things like anamorphic support, can it record over USB, does it do time code and sync, does it have good, you know, preamps. Yep. And so for me, if like, if it didn't support 10-bit, if it didn't output RAW. It like does, the FX30 does output RAW. Well then, whew, man, okay, it's back in the running. <laughs> I still pick the S5 Mark II over it yeah. because of all the video features and because it does it crops in 4K 60, doesn't crop in the other modes. You still get oversampled 4K and uh, you can shoot open gate. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, honestly, the only reason I don't have it in this category is because I had it in the category above. Makes a ton of sense. I feel like I still would have picked the X-H2 over the FX30. It can shoot raw and it's got 8K yeah. and it can shoot, a, it can kind of shoot open. No, it can't shoot open gate. The 8K is 16 by 9 and the 6.2K is also 16 by 9. You're just, you're right up at that limit though. I mean, it's like, like tax is going to put you over on that, on that price. <laughs> no, I mean on the S5 Mark II, but on the X-H2, it's, it's 1800 bucks. Is it? Yeah. Or 1700 is like the same price as the X-T5. I'm, I'm fact checking you on that. B&H, 1999. No, stop it. I could, I could find one for cheaper. Um, I bet you could, but that's, Adorama, that's the price. Adorama, X-H2. Oh, wow. They sold that one for 2500 Fine. Fine, <laughs> Daniel. Okay. Are you ready to move on? Why didn't either of us pick the R8? <laughs> that's a great question i think the r8's a really interesting camera i just i mean it's the it's the r6 mark ii which has phenomenal video specs yeah. but for 1500 bucks i didn't pick it because it only does c-log 3 and it has a micro hdmi port i think i didn't i didn't like that i now i don't know if the fx30 has ibis it may not i don't think it does yeah i that was one reason i didn't pick it but i think part of it for me was the lenses i feel like when i get down to this low lower range it's kind of like if i'm if i'm doing filmmaking like am i gonna buy rf lenses for that and how much is that gonna cost and i that's that's really the only thing i think of though i mean the r8 was definitely in the running for me i feel like i feel like the adapting lenses matters less because you're probably gonna be manual focusing the rf lenses are pretty decent i don't know we both pick Canon, Canon cameras for the top end. Yeah, that's, that's Weird, true. Weird that we didn't pick it for any of the middle ones, but yeah. I don't know. There are a very compelling camera. Mm-hmm. I still, I still would stand by my choice. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think I get it. Okay, do you want to go first for best camera for filmmaking budget? So this one was the hardest one for me to decide, and I think part of it was that. You know, we talk about all this gear and we both have pretty expensive cameras. And when I look at all the cameras in this lower range, everything just has so many compromises. And I, I think for myself, I don't want to take on those compromises. I, you know, I don't want any of these cameras, but I mean, that's not, that's not a fair position to take, you know, and, and everybody has to start somewhere and any cameras, you know, is better than no camera. So, I mean, there's, there's a legitimate pick here, but what made it hard for me is not knowing what the purpose of it was, you know, like where, where are you going with it? Are you doing filmmaking because you want to make movies or do you really mean vlogging? Like what's your, what's your path? And that made it really hard to decide. So I, I have two picks and I don't know which one I really like better, but I know I have to pick one. So it's funny that I said that the lenses were what held me back from picking the R8 because what I ended up picking was the Canon R10. Nice. What what did you pick it over? Uh, so the one that I picked it over was the Fuji XS10. Okay. Yeah. I thought about the XS10 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's right at the limits. Mm-hmm. The 999. It is. That one only supports uh, 8-bit. Doesn't mm-hmm. have them 10-bit codecs. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the R10 is uh, 879. So it's solidly in the range. 
you know, you get your your flippy screen and mic mm-hmm. jack and like all those basic features. It's the only thing in this range that I could find that can shoot 4K 60. Yeah, yeah, it can shoot 4K 60 with a crop. Right, um, which fine. It shoots oversampled 4K 30. That was the winner for me. The yeah. fact that it can shoot oversampled 4K mm-hmm. at a 24 or 30 mm-hmm. frame per second. And I codec. think it also supports 10 bit. Yeah, and yeah, I, from what I can tell, it supports 10-bit. I couldn't find out if it supports C-Log or not. I don't mm-hmm. think it does, but it yeah. may support C-Log 3. Yeah, and you get the Canon autofocus, which is really good. And that was one thing I was thinking about. You know, if you're in this lower range, chances are you're newer to filmmaking. And maybe by filmmaking, you mean, you know, vlogging or whatever. And I felt like having really good autofocus is probably a plus in this range. That was another thing that edged it out for me over the XS10. But yeah, I mean, I was surprised that I picked a Canon for this. I wasn't. I was expecting to pick a Sony. Right. But Sony doesn't have anything in this range anymore. I mean, nope. they they have the ZV-E10. The R10 seems a lot better than that camera. Mm-hmm. And Sony doesn't have any other A-series cameras that compete in this range anymore. Not anymore. I mean, it used to be like the 6,000, 6,100, 6,400. Mm-hmm. Those all would have been great picks. Yeah. It doesn't feel like those are picks anymore. Yeah. Yeah. They need they need something new if they want to compete in this. The main thing that holds me back on the R10, though, is just the lenses. I mean, I feel like your all-in cost is going to be pretty high. I mean, if you're, if you're getting into it, like... Maybe you just adapt EF for a little while, that sort of thing. That's probably what I would do. If anybody's listening to this and actually is going to go this route, I would probably get the RF to EF adapter mm-hmm. because especially with EF being discontinued now, you're going to be able to get cheaper EF lenses. Sure. And I think that that would be just fine. I think that's a better choice than trying to buy thousands and thousands of dollars worth of RF lenses. Yeah. And then, like it just kind of depends upon your upgrade path and that sort of thing. But for just general filmmaking, yeah, sure, get, get an EF zoom but, like, the primes for RF are, are decent. Like, you mm-hmm. can get the 85, the 24, and the 50 for pretty cheap. Sure, sure. That's true. So, I, I picked the R10 as well on this <laughs> nice. one. Nice. We so, did have one overlap. So, then. one overlap. Um, I had a really hard time deciding between that and the iPhone 14 Pro. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Almost threw a cell phone in there because that'll be interesting. But... I mean, you can the that's that's like nine nine nine. So I didn't pick that one just because it was it's so close to the top. If you want the high end video features in an iPhone, you have to yeah. Like you you have to get the the Pro. But it, I mean, you can you can shoot quote unquote raw and or ProRes in it yeah. and all that stuff. No, it's and, a valid point. I think I still you know if 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 you're wanting to do filmmaking, like I still think having a real camera has advantages over just the quality. Yeah, like I think that people are going to take you more seriously. It's going to be easier to put on a tripod, like all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. You know, I think it. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna... a big believer in shooting videos on your phone. But, yeah, definitely. But I, I think that there are advantages to a real camera. Yeah, like the the best cameras when you have with you and all that crap. And I mean, I switched to iPhone from Android specifically because it does shoot better video mm-hmm. and, than any of the Android phones that were out at the time, which was two years ago at this point. Yeah. And like, mostly it annoys me. But <laughs> I mean, like, it's 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 nice to have another thing in your in your kit of whatever you're using to like be able to use. I mean, whenever we shot the Big Ben stuff, yeah. I, there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff that I shot on my iPhone mm-hmm. and there was some stuff where I was like, oh, I'll just throw my phone under this car real quick and then let it drive over it. And yeah, then, you're yeah, not going to get out of the camera. Yeah, and so it's just, you can't really use it in the same way. And so it's like, use the right tool for the job and get the shot mm-hmm. and then, you know, go on from there. Yeah. But I, I agree that like something like an R10, I mean, you can put, I mean, it's it's the 1.6 APS-C, but like you can still get decent depth of field with APS-C and you yeah. can shoot at an 85 F2 and get really, and a really nice like separation and a portrait look. 
and it gives you the flexibility to use a bunch of different lenses mm-hmm. or even adapt like anamorphic on there or whatever you want to do. Yeah. And you can get a telephoto. Yeah, that's that's yeah. another thing. It's hard on a phone. Mm-hmm. And so it just it opens up a lot of possibilities mm-hmm. and you know more things to be creative with than the limitations of a of a phone sensor. Yeah. So. In- interesting. I thought, up though. man, the 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 most restricted category is the one that we uh, we came we came together on. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised pretty... that we didn't have similar picks farther up. Well, we, we I mean we kind of did. Like the S five two is a camera that we both had in That's our true. in our list, just at different levels. And I I had picked the S one H as a runner up, so I, I you know we're kind of aligned, I think. But were there any specific things that you were looking for when creating this list um, that you thought made for a, a good filmmaking well, camera? For, first of all, we have one more category, don't we? Oh, you're right. But tell but tell me your tell me your criteria. Um, yeah, that's a good question. So honestly, the hybrid aspect was really limiting on this. That gave me a lot of pause. Like I wasn't even sure about picking the C70 for that reason. I'm and, glad you did. And I might've picked something different, you know, like not having that, like I, I would have at least thought about like, you know, is a red Komodo a better choice or whatever, right. but that was, that was limiting. And so, I mean, that kind of, everything had to flow from that, but I mean, something I was looking for was video assist features. That's why the Lumix stuff made a strong showing, because I think having stuff like that luminance spot meter or if you can do false color or just uh, true 180 degree shutter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being able to apply a LUT in camera so that you can see it on the camera is is a nice feature that not every camera supports. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for that a lot of times. I really didn't look at quality that much. Like I, I went for 4K60 when I could. That felt really worth it. But, you know, like I, I feel like all these cameras shoot good enough quality that it's not going to really be a problem. One of my one of the detractors for me is the codec stuff. Like even if you're looking at an A1 from Sony, if you're shooting 4K, it's 200 megabit per second. If you're shooting 8K, it's 400. Mm-hmm. And if you compare that to like shooting 8K on the R5C, it's like 860 or something. Yeah. And it's just the Sony cameras to me. And like I've never like spent a lot of time shooting and editing Sony footage. And everyone loves it. But to me, it always feels like they that stuff is really, really compressed. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they're doing. Like their algorithms are really good or whatever, but... Even the FX30, the comparable, you know, codecs within that camera still feel data limited to me compared to something like an S5 Mark II. Yeah. And I think it's better than it used to be because I know Sony cameras used to all have 8-bit sensors. Yeah, it was like 8-bit, 50 megabit per second, didn't matter what codec you're shooting. And boy, that that, stuff did not pretty well. That at least has changed, but it does still feel like they're a little bit behind on some stuff. Yeah. But which is weird because like Sony is typically the one leading the pack. So, yeah, but and I think it, it does satisfy most people's needs. A lot of people shoot mm-hmm. with the Sony's, and yep. I don't know. S Log Three is supposed to be really good, and people love S Cinetone and all that stuff. Yeah, I generally did try to go for ones that had good autofocus. Although sure. the S One H made an appearance, but like besides that, like I felt like autofocus is important. Not not if you're doing like true cinema filmmaking, but a lot of what people mean when they say filmmaking, I think autofocus is beneficial. Man, that was to me. I was like, I don't care about autofocus at all. <laughs> It's, it's interesting. Yeah. The problem is that saying filmmaking is just too broad. Too broad. Especially like in that list, it was clear what they really meant was like vlogging. Oh, yeah. For and, sure. Which is funny because they also have an article of best cameras for vlogging. Huh. But uh, huh. but that's kind of what it seemed like they were going for. And so I was trying to like at least keep that in mind. But yeah, it's just a broad, a broad thing. Well, with all that context, hit me with your best low light camera. Winter 2023. I don't think this is even up for debate. I think it's A7S III. Wow. I strongly disagree. Really? I picked the FX3. (laughs) 
<laughs> so basically the same camera. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think in seeing the dark, it yeah. is crazy. Mm-hmm. The the it has dual native ISO, but the native ISO is like fifty one two hundred. Yeah, you're shooting it with like your lowest um, grain noise at fifty two one hundred. Yep. on full frame. Yep, that's I mean, crazy. You can just shoot everything by candlelight. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, it's so no, good. Nothing can touch that right now. No, that's it. I mean, it's it's FX three, obviously low light king. Mm-hmm. You know. Not really going to dethrone it. Yep. Until that 24-stop Canon sensor makes it into it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> this security camera, though, significantly better than the FX3. <laughs> so I, what I what I found really interesting when I looked at this list was where my picks ended up. I did kind of spread the love a little bit. I mean, I, I picked Canon, Lumix, and Sony for my picks. And honestly, the Sony FX30 that I picked could have just as easily been an R8, which would have been another Canon. And it looks like for you, you picked. Yeah, I mean, I was you I pretty was, much the same, right? Yeah, Canon, Lumix, Lumix, Canon. Yeah. Well, and the the low light one was was well, Sony. Sony. Yeah, sure. But Sony for the last one. I I found it really interesting that I don't know. It it kind of feels to me like Canon has been less interesting in the video market for the most part. I mean, they make good stuff. I'm not saying they don't, but you know, you see a lot of people on YouTube moving away from Canon, and it feels like a lot of their sub $5,000 cameras are less like they're nerfed in some way, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of video features, like they're really trying to protect that cinema line and they have the weird IBIS problems and the lenses are expensive. And it just feels like Canon has gotten a little bit lower profile in terms of video making. And so I found it interesting that it was represented in so many of these categories. Definitely. It's like whenever you, whenever you slice it and like you break it up by these, you know, upper, lower, mid or whatever, it just, it kind of came down to a few things. Like I almost picked a Sony for the top end, but I think the A1 is starting to age and like it has really cool stuff. You can shoot 8K, but like for my cinema filmmaking pick, I wanted over sampled 4K. Mm-hmm. And that Canon RAW is really painful on computers, but it's yeah. pretty good. And so like there were reasons to pick for, I mean, if I was looking for the best hybrid in that range, I'd probably pick the A1 for yeah. sure. But for more heavy video focus. I mean, it was the, it was the 5C or the C70 to me. Yeah. And then Lumix is another brand where I feel like, I mean, I'm, you know, there's plenty of people that shoot Panasonic, but I feel like they're a little bit lower profile now. Right. In terms of what we see. And I mean, I, I think it's interesting that Sony is not highly represented in either of our lists. I mean, Sony is, it's, I think it's just starting to, it's starting to kind of age, which is weird because usually Sony's like front of the pack sort of thing. And I mean, I guess neither of us picked the A7 V Mark II. A7 R5? Thank you. The A7 R5. Yeah. Or the, A7, or the A7 IV. I actually kind of forgot the A7 R5 existed when I was making this list, and I yeah. didn't even look it up. That would have been a pretty good option for, for that so. upper mid-range category. Yeah, maybe so. I think that the rolling shutter on that is a little slow. And if I'm looking, it's it's over three thousand, so that would have been the top end. Mm-hmm. And I was I would still pick the R5C over it. I don't know. I think what it is is that Sony cameras are really good for like vloggy type stuff, and that you know they have a lot of cool features and mm-hmm. a lot of like eye catching features. But when you start thinking about doing like a cinema style shoot, doing filmmaking, I feel like they just don't really have the right feature yeah. set for that. I don't know. Like if I'm leaning more towards hybrid, or like if I'm in that say the the two thousand to 3000 range that upper mid range maybe the sony a7 IV is more interesting because you can shoot 30 megapixels it's kind of yeah. better autofocus yeah but if you like you don't worry too much about the autofocus and you don't worry too much about the resolution because if you need if you're shooting 4k that's basically what 23 24 megapixels mm-hmm. and all these cameras can do it 
Yeah. And so like you take away those two things and now it's like, what's Sony's advantage? And you can't shoot 180 degree shutter. Mm -hmm. And most of them, I don't know if they have any cameras that shoot uh, open gate. Yeah. And like, it seems like, and like the codecs aren't quite there. You can, you can shoot raw on them, but most of it's over HDMI. I don't know what Sony cameras shoot raw internal, except for like once you get mm. in the FX line. And I still don't know what weird limitations they have. It seems like Sony cameras always have these weird things where it's like, if you're outputting over HDMI, you can't see it on the camera screen yeah, or, you know, but whatever. But only in this mode and blah, blah, Yeah, and blah, all blah. that stuff gets confusing and weird. And I mean, a big strength of Sony is the autofocus and you just don't really need that for most filmmaking. I, I do mm. think it would be interesting to revisit this like at the end of the year because yeah. I could see an A7 V coming into this like the upper mid-range category and really owning it and I could see a new like A7000 or sure. whatever something some sort of a APS-C Sony camera coming in at the low yeah. end and knocking off the R10. All of this was really hard to pick and, yeah, it and was. the game is kind of like anyone's for the taking you know like it's not i don't think it would be hard to beat anything we discussed the the fact that it was so difficult tells you that there's a lot of competitors and but also that like there's so many trade-offs to be made you know especially if you want to be able to shoot photos i feel like that limits your options a lot for me like i think i would still walk away with an xh2s just because of the rolling shutter and because of the the 6.2k and all that stuff i really really like that camera i love the way eternal looks and all that stuff i'm just a big fuji boy but i mean in the last six months the r8 and the r6 mark ii are so compelling yeah and like getting full frame over sampled 4k without a crop getting 4k 60 full frame without a crop and dual pixel autofocus mm -hmm. like just wow those mm -hmm. are hard so hard to ignore and then the s5 mark ii is phenomenal yeah i think and, the s5 mark ii x is going to be really good and i'm also really curious to see what an s1h mark ii would look like yep yeah me too so I, I would still, you know, walk away with an XH2S just because of brand loyalty, I guess, <laughs> but which is stupid. I mean, don't buy on a brand, buy the thing that's right for what you need. And it feels like Sony needs, Sony's needs to have their next event and release their next camera yeah. because right now, if you're looking for something in the 1000 to $3,000 range, it feels like Canon owns it. Yeah. And yeah. It, unless you just don't want to buy RF glass because their glass is all $3,000 plus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know one one to three thousand for me it's all Canon and Lumix. It's it's so weird because like no one shoots Canon. That's not true. Everyone shoots Canon. They have the biggest market share, like forty yeah. percent or whatever. Yeah, yeah, In interesting stuff. Yeah, it's, it's just it feels like it's really flipped in the last last whatever. Yeah. So neither of us picked the GH5S. Man, well, that's well, that's strange. I should, let me go back and look at my list real quick. Yeah, I think that make I sure you make sure you got that right. Should have picked that for the best low light camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, it says FX3 here. Oh. No, that was the right choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, if uh, if Artings wants to hire us to write their next version of this article, we're here. Yep. We'd love to do it. Sure. We've got a lot of opinions. I mean, I think that like the way Artings works is it's very analytical. They would have to go and review all of these cameras against the exact same mm -hmm. criteria and then score them, and then they would rank it based on score. Yep. So, like, I mean, that's just a lot of work. It I is. get why their article yeah. is what it is. And also, we didn't even have the same picks. Yeah. Everyone's going to have different picks. That's true. It's like, what's yeah. right for you? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and the answer is the S5 Mark II. It's the best indeed. camera for everybody. You really have to consider what you need, and that's really going to change what you want. Even asking what's the best filmmaking camera is not specific enough of a question. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I, we, I heard that. You heard that. And then I went through and I listed my criteria, and I'm like mm -hmm. looking for, okay, what, what shoots 10-bit? What can shoot, you know, true 24 frames per second and at 180? I don't care about autofocus. I'm going to adapt lenses anyways because mm -hmm. I want to shoot anamorphic because it's open gate. And you, you're like, oh, does it 
have does it have a flippy screen does yep. it have ibis does it have autofocus yeah totally different because the question is are you are you filming a tv show or are you making videos for your youtube yeah. channel are you making a short film and do you have do you have people with you do you have mm-hmm. a crew or is it yep. just you yep. and are you recording yourself or are you recording other people and those change all of it yeah yeah, absolutely. And if you have a camera and it's not the best camera for that use case, it's not saying you can't do it. You know, you can make anything work, but if you're really trying to get the right camera for the job, then you really need to think about what that job is. Yeah, exactly. Man, I like I like I like this conversation. It's yeah. Good. Yeah, it's kind of fun going through that stuff and it was interesting to see the picks. Cool. Well, I mean, that's that's good. I mean, there's no no more categories, no more picks. Yeah. Any final thoughts on it? Not really. I, I think we I think we pretty much covered it. Like I said, I'm just surprised at the brands we ended up choosing, but I think it shows where the market is right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. None of us, neither of us picked the camera of the year from 2022. Yeah. And Surprising. I'm probably going to have trouble sleeping tonight because yeah. of it. Yeah. You're going to have to go home and think about your life. Yeah. I just. It might be time to sell your camera and all your lenses and buy all new lenses oh, this year, Lucas. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I just. I feel like in in the S5 Mark II episode that we talked about, I feel like I betrayed Fuji. And then I feel like I did it again here. Yeah. So, Fuji, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I do love you. It's Valentine's Day when we're recording this. And um, will you be my Valentine? (laughs) That's it for the show today. Thanks for listening. And we'd encourage you to rate the show on iTunes and tell a friend, but only if you enjoyed it. You can find out more about us on our website at cameragearpodcast.com. We'll be back with more next week.